2: This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network.
3: We were dealing with a a very clever man who wasn't really known in name to the address at 24 Collingwood Place and the vehicle he was using at that time, as you know, was registered to his then girlfriend. He moved very quickly um, and covered his tracks.
4: I think he is heaping cruelty upon cruelty. I think he is dragging things out. Uh, I think he loves being the centre of attention. He is, without a doubt, the most manipulative and self-centred person I'd ever come across.
2: Welcome to Season 7, Episode 2 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 7, Episode 1 for Part 1 of this two-part case. On Thursday, March 21st, 2002, Amanda Dowler, known as Millie, did not come home from school. After her final lesson, the 13-year-old had left Heathside Secondary School and began her usual journey home to Walton Park. The educational institution was close to Weybridge train station. Once Millie was reported missing, Police officers and search dogs began combing the area for any indication of what had happened to the schoolgirl. She was described as being five feet tall, with a slim build and light brown shoulder-length hair. Illy had last been seen wearing her school uniform, a dark blue blazer on top of a white blouse, with a grey skirt and a beige and black backpack. She was seen by a friend at a cafe before 4pm in the town of Walton-on-Thames in Surrey. Millie had even made a call to her father to tell him she would be home in half an hour. But after the hours passed and Millie had still not walked through the front door, the alarm was raised. Fear began to spread that she had been abducted by someone on her way home. The Surrey Police informed the public they were keeping an open mind. A spokesperson said, We carried out an extensive search without success. It is out of character for Amanda to go missing. We'd like to hear from anyone who has seen her or knows where she may be. Teams totaling over 50 officers had begun making door-to-door inquiries in the area, but no one had seen or heard anything suspicious. Detective Inspector Darren McInnes from Surrey Police remarked, Amanda's disappearance is a complete mystery. She comes from a very loving family and happy home and had no apparent reason to run away. The longer she remains missing, the greater our concern is she is so young and vulnerable and has never gone missing before. Her parents need to hear from those who may know where she is. Millie lived at home with her parents, Sally and Bob, and her older sister, Gemma. Sally worked as a teacher at Millie's school, while Bob was employed as an IT consultant. Millie's parents made a public appeal to their daughter.
3: Millie, darling, if you are watching or listening to this, mum, dad, Gemma, granny... And all the family want you to know that we all love you and we really miss you. And we can't wait to have you back home with us. This time last week, we all had such a lovely time at the fun run. And you played your saxophone so brilliantly afterwards at the party. Please come home safely, darling.
5: If she's staying with a friend or someone that she's got to know, please phone us and let us know. Let the police know, any information, however small and insignificant it may seem, must be vital in this. We just desperately need your help.
2: Addressing the press, Sally went on to voice her concern for her daughter. I'm out of my mind with worry. I just want Amanda back home with us. It's agony. Anyone with information was urged to contact the Surrey Police. This was not the first time Surrey had been rocked by tragedy. Two years earlier, seven-year-old Sarah Payne had been abducted and murdered while visiting her grandfather in Kingston Course. The detectives involved in the hunt for Sarah and her killer were enlisted to help find Millie Dowler. Searches continued across an almost two mile radius between the school, Weybridge train station, and Millie's home. Detectives began examining CCTV footage from businesses along the route Millie would have taken. Still, they could not find any trace of her on the footage. As the search entered the third day, Superintendent Alan Sharp from the Surrey Constabulary told the media. We're still hopeful that we may find Amanda, but each day that passes it becomes more difficult and frustrating. Investigators scanned through the 13-year-old's phone records in the week that followed, trying to determine if she had left of her own accord or was taken by someone she had been communicating with. Superintendent Sharp said, If Millie went off with anyone, then she knew them, and we are anxious to track down anyone she had been in contact with. We are checking telephone records, particularly on her mobile. We hope this will reveal who she had been talking to recently. With luck, this will help us fill in another piece of the jigsaw which we are building up on her lifestyle, friends and acquaintances. The phone itself, which had run out of credit, has still not been found but this does not stop us checking the numbers she called before she went missing. I don't want to say any more about what the phone records may have revealed at the moment. We need to know everything about her lifestyle, who she knew and talked to, but I must stress we have no suspects. Until we have any evidence to suggest otherwise, we are still treating this as a missing person investigation and we still remain hopeful that Amanda will return home safely. It was also revealed that Millie had posted on a website called Friends Reunited, and a reconstruction of her walk home was shown on BBC's Crime Watch. At
3: Millie's school, they know the same bubbly girl, and no one believes she would want to run away.
4: Not only the students, but the staff, the whole community, are extremely upset and just very, very anxious to do all they can to help the police in finding Amanda safe and well as soon as possible.
3: Everyone's heartbroken and everyone's like really tearful and everyone's so upset that she's gone missing and they just wish that she would come home.
5: We have nothing uh, that um, gives us any positive indication that she's gone off of her own volition Um, equally we have no positive information that she has been taken off the street and abducted um, at this time.
2: As the weeks passed, a £100,000 reward was offered for information that would lead to the teenager's discovery. Someone who had watched the televised appeal phoned in to say they had found a white plastic purse that they believed belonged to the missing schoolgirl. As the Surrey police began looking through Millie's family home, a spokesperson explained the situation to the media. It's a routine search of the house and garden. There are no plans to dig up the garden. It's just another part of the investigation. They're just trying to find anything that might explain why she ran away, if that's what's happened. But the family are not being treated as suspects. The inquiry was extensive, with 100 officers who had taken over 750 statements and interviewed over 100 people, including Millie's friends, while they carried out searches in more than 100 locations. Despite thousands of calls, no solid information was received, and by May a spokesperson for the Surrey Police said, We are still hoping that someone will contact us with the information we need. It could be that one of Millie's friends knows something, whether it's a secret or just anything that they've thought of, and if so, then we really need them to tell us. The police announced that they did not believe that she had been abducted, but instead had gone to meet an older boyfriend. Superintendent Alan Sharp said, Not a single person has reported seeing a struggle or an argument and a bright, intelligent 13-year-old would have put up a fight if there had been any attempt to drag her into a car. It seems likely that she has gone off with someone she knew, and if this is the case, I appeal to her to contact police or her parents. Danielle Sykes had been one of the last people to see Millie on the day of her disappearance. The 14-year-old publicly appealed for Millie to come home, saying, Millie you mean so much to so many people, you always manage to make me smile if I'm down, you are always there for me if I want to talk, you have such a fun sense of humour and I have so much faith in you to succeed in everything you do, I hold a lot of respect for you in my heart as you were never afraid to be yourself. I trust you so much as there is a side to you that is so comforting and understanding. You don't push aside problems, you take them on and then resolve them. When I think of the memories that we have shared together, I smile to myself. I love you, Millie, and want you back with us. Over the following weeks and months, A number of suspects were arrested and subsequently released, furthering the heartache of Millie's desperate family. Speaking with BBC's Newsround, Millie's older sister Gemma said, I would always look after her and she'd do the same for me. It's really hard because sometimes my mum starts crying and that sets us all off. I can't believe it's happening. Why is this happening to me? What have we done wrong? A massive photo appeared in the paper and that was weird. That makes it hit home. How serious it is. There must be someone who knows something. Please call the police because we really need to know something. Even if something bad has happened, they've got to say so we can start to get over it. It's just awful. Police divers searched the rivers and waterways near Walton-on-Thames for anything connected to Millie Dowler, but they came up empty-handed. That was until April 23rd. The body of a female was recovered near Sunbury Lock. The remains had been in the water for an unknown period of time, making immediate identification impossible. Millie's parents waited to hear if their worst fears were going to be realised.
5: I can confirm to you today that the body found yesterday was not that of Amanda Dowler. We are not treating this as anything other than a missing persons inquiry. But we are resourcing it with a great deal of officers, many more than would work on any murder inquiry in this ...or
2: in any other force. It had taken several days before the Dowler family received the bittersweet news... ...that the body was not Millie. It was a 73-year-old woman whose death was unconnected to the case. The wait for Millie's loved ones continued. Millie's father Bob later recalled to a reporter for the Mirror newspaper... The relief when we heard it wasn't Millie was obviously fantastic. But then there was that feeling we're back to square one. And that's horrible because you have a permanent feeling in your stomach. This churning over and over again. And your heart races. It's awful. We have to carry on every day living in a state of limbo. I don't believe we'll ever move on until we have some news. Reports from other areas of the country were linked to Millie, and detectives speculated that she may have changed her appearance and run away with someone she knew. On what would have been Millie's 14th birthday, her mother spoke with the media to share the family's pain and worry that had only increased in the 13 weeks since Millie disappeared. Sally said, We usually celebrate Millie's birthday with a party in the garden and have a barbecue with a dozen or so of her friends. But maybe this year she would have wanted a karaoke party. Millie really loves her karaoke and we were planning to buy her tapes. She loves all the usual teenage stuff but she is very keen on taking video pictures and another present this time would have been a digital camera. When Millie first went missing, we would never have believed that we would have no news of her by now. Since then, we have been struggling to fill our days. We set ourselves things to do, but it is hard to remain motivated. We end up just going through the motions. Tomorrow will be awful, but we have to try to hold it together for Gemma. She wants us to be positive and brave. We know lots of other people are hurting for us too, and not just people we know. We find that very touching. There are so many things we miss, especially Millie playing her saxophone. The lack of noise is the hardest thing to bear. The house is so quiet. Because of all the posters, we see Millie's image everywhere we go. We just can't believe that it is our daughter, We drive past and wonder, will they still be there in six months? A series of hoax calls made by someone pretending to be Millie only made things worse for her family in the months following her disappearance. The calls were traced to 20-year-old Leanne Newman, who was charged with making false and malicious phone calls to a number of people including Millie's father. In May 2002, a woman walking her dog discovered a female torso on the banks of the River Leven in Dumbarton. It was the second human torso found on the banks in the area within a month, but it was quickly confirmed that the remains belonged to 19-year-old Amy Anderson, who had gone missing weeks earlier. Parents held their children tighter that summer. As in August, Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman went missing from Soham. At one point, the FBI were even asked to assist in the case, using their technology to enhance the grainy images taken by CCTV cameras in the area. The footage had been obscured by sunlight and experts in Quantico, Virginia were able to clear the footage enough to make out a car pulling up beside someone at a bus stop around the time Millie went missing. The dark-coloured car had a spoiler on the back of the vehicle and was believed to be a Honda Prelude or Vauxhall Vectra. The Surrey police changed their view that Millie had met someone and now believed that she had likely been the victim of a chance abduction. In mid-September, speaking about the footage they were reviewing, Detective Chief Superintendent Craig Denham, who was then leading the inquiry, told a reporter for the Daily Telegraph, If this is Amanda, then it's massively significant, but that is the key question. Is this Amanda? It's probably 50-50 that it's her. Clearly, this video asks as many questions as it answers.
5: We're very pleased with the images, both in terms of the work the FBI have done for us. It's outstanding uh, and it, it has taken the inquiry in a new direction. I would love to be able to tell you that we believe that's Amanda, but I am posing the question as opposed to giving the statement, was that Amanda? Please help us, if that was you, to come forward so that we can uh, move on if this isn't
6: Amanda.
2: A person in the footage was seen speaking with the driver for at least 42 seconds and they were not seen walking away. This led investigators to believe that if it were Millie, she had got into or was forced into the car. Detective Chief Superintendent Denham spoke with the media. We've worked extensively through
5: a number of different hypotheses uh, to try to work out exactly what we believe has happened to Amanda, Uh, and we're now working on the principle that we believe that she's been abducted by a chance abductor.
2: After nearly six months had passed, Millie's mother resigned herself to the awful fact that her daughter was most likely dead. Speaking on ITV, Sarah Dowler said, I think she's been abducted and murdered. I've been through every possible scenario and played them through time and time again, but that's the only one I seem to end up at not knowing is awful because there's still that element of doubt has someone taken her but is she still alive as unlikely as you know that is you can't help thinking oh please let that be the case by that point five million pounds had been spent on the search for Millie nothing indicated what would be discovered on September 18th 2002 A couple, collecting mushrooms along a path in the woods on Yately Heath, near Fleet in Hampshire, came across what they feared were human remains. After reporting the find to the police the following day, the skeletal remains were compared to dental records for Millie Dowler.
4: We do not know at this stage what sex or age the human remains are, and we are trying to establish the identity of the deceased. We are liaising with officers from other constabularies, including Surrey Constabulary, and relatives of other missing persons in Hampshire have been notified.
5: How certain are you at this stage, as you can be, that these remains might be those of Amanda Dowler? Uh,
4: How certain can we be that they might be? We don't know. We're keeping our mind completely open as to who they could possibly be. Obviously, that is one possible.
2: After an agonising six-month wait since her disappearance, The Dowlers were told that Millie's body had been found 25 miles from home. Detective Superintendent Alan Betts and Detective Chief Superintendent Denham addressed reporters.
4: Dental comparisons were carried out at North Hampshire Hospital in Basingstoke by a forensic odontologist. She compared the remains found in Yately Heathwood yesterday with the dental records of Amanda Dowler. We can now confirm the results of the examination were, those, were, almost, were that was almost certainly those of the missing Amanda. DNA tests will be carried out as soon as possible to confirm this.
5: Our thoughts and sympathy, sympathies are with Millie's family at this difficult time. They've been kept fully informed of all developments. Our worst fears have been confirmed and I can now tell you that the search for Millie has changed from a missing person inquiry into a murder investigation.
2: Mourners gathered at the school Millie attended and where her mother worked to pay tribute to the thirteen-year-old who was a great friend, a talented musician and a beloved daughter and sister. The Dowler family left a bunch of lavender with a note attached that read, During this spring and summer, we watched it flourish, burst into flower and now in autumn, Its sweet, heady scent fills the air and lingers. Rest in peace, dear Millie, with love and prayers from your mum, dad, and brave big sister. Millie's relatives released a statement prior to the funeral service at St Mary's Parish Church in Walton on Thames. They wrote, At last, the long, agonising wait is over. Now we can bring her home and say goodbye. A feeling of relief, but so very, very sad. No one can hurt her now, our darling Millie. However, we will not rest until the monster responsible for this ghastly crime is brought to justice and behind bars. Reverend Graham Holdaway, who had been Millie's maths teacher at Heathfield School, delivered a homily to the packed service. He said, Last March, we lit a candle in the hope that Millie would return to the love of her family and friends. That hope has been taken from us, but we light a candle with a different hope. We shall remember her. We will give thanks for her life. We will recall any memories we have of her, and I will recall a lively, cheeky, talented pupil. Millie Dowler had been found naked. Her remains were subjected to animal predation after months in the woods. Investigators surmised that she had likely been killed somewhere else, and her body was discarded in the remote area. However, her phone and purse had still not been recovered. Later that year, a Child Rescue Alert initiative was set up to work in a similar way to the Amber Alert System in the United States. If there were concerns that a child had been abducted or was in immediate danger of harm or death, an urgent appeal would be broadcast across television and radio stations to spread the word quickly. Sussex Police were the first force in Europe to implement the system. Those involved in the scheme pay tribute to the children who could not be saved. Sarah Payne, Holly Wells, Jessica Chapman and Millie Dowler. Detective Chief Superintendent Jeremy Payne said, Over the last couple of years we have been rocked by the awful tragedies of children being abducted and murdered. Rarely do we see such grief other than perhaps at the death of a princess. But our children are princes and princesses to us. This initiative for me is a missing part of the jigsaw. We're working hard at prevention and getting better at investigation. Now we have a plan that could save children's lives. Our hearts go out to the families of Holly and Jessica. Of Millie and Sarah and I launched this scheme in their memory. Sarah Payne's mother was in attendance for the announcement and said, if this initiative can save just one life in 20 years, then it will be worth it. It does save lives, it's cost-effective and it really works. One thing we learned in Sarah's case is that when the police and the media work together, things can get done. We will never know if this initiative would have worked in Sarah's case. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Life for Millie's family would never be the same. The hope that her killer would be found and face justice slowly faded as the years passed. While her killer went undetected, other women and girls were attacked and killed. On the day that Levi Belfield was found guilty of the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy and the murders of Marsha McDonnell and Amélie de La Grange, the Metropolitan Police announced they would offer a £50,000 reward for information that led to the conviction of Millie Dowler's killer. DCI Maria Woodall, who was now leading the Surrey Police investigation, explained that they would relentlessly pursue the person responsible for the 13-year-old's abduction and murder. DCI Woodall said, We're releasing new information today in the hope that people can help us track down a car of significant interest. We're also offering a large reward for any information that leads to her killer being convicted. Millie was an innocent 13-year-old girl. And her killer deserves no respect or protection. Someone knows who is responsible for her death, and now nearly six years on, I'm urging them to speak to us. Perhaps you were too scared to come forward. Perhaps you no longer want the guilt of holding back potentially useful information. Even if you are worried you have waited too long, please make contact. We can discuss your fears and explain how we can help before you tell us what you know. Whatever the reason, now is the time to speak up and ease six years of torment for Millie's family. The Surrey police announced they were trying to trace a red day wound next year that had been seen on CCTV in the area at the time Millie went missing. It was identical to a car that belonged to a former partner of Levi Belfield, a vehicle that had not been seen since the week of Millie's abduction. Belfield had been questioned about Millie's disappearance while he was awaiting trial for multiple counts of murder. A spokesperson for Surrey Police said, Detectives have been investigating Belfield, and the end of his recent trial for offences in London has provided new opportunities for us to explore, areas that we had previously been unable to. In fact, the team investigating Belfield's crimes had informed the authorities of possible links between the killer and the disappearance of Millie Dowler in late 2004. Belfield had been arrested in relation to the investigation in July 2005. While questioned over the following days, he simply responded by saying, no comment. Until the police began reinvestigating another incident from the day prior to Millie's disappearance, Belfield had not been linked to the case. Rachel Cowles was 11 years old on March 20th, 2002. As she walked home from school in Shepperton, a red hatchback pulled up beside her. She described the driver as being white. He had a large build with short dark hair and a high-pitched voice. Rachel believed he was in his thirties. He rolled down the window and called out to her, Hello, i just moved in next door to you. Rachel did not recognise the man and she politely declined when he offered her a lift. The stranger persisted until he spotted a nearby police car, then he drove off. Rachel Cowles told her parents about what had happened, and they reported the incident to the police. The schoolgirl had been able to give officers a description of the man and his car, even telling them that she had seen children's car seats in the back. When Millie Dowler went missing the following day, the police did not realise the significance of what had happened with Rachel Cowles just three miles away. In August 2001, Emma Mills had left Levi Belfield following a brutal sexual assault and had fled to a refuge with their young children. Emma's mother later helped her secure a rental flat at Collingwood Place, a cul-de-sac area with apartments just off Copenhagen Way, across from Walton Railway Station. She also purchased Emma a red day next Nexia. Levi Belfield subsequently managed to win Emma back, and he moved in with her and the children. On March 21st, 2002, Belfield was supposed to be staying with Emma at her friend's house in West Drayton but there was evidence to show he was in Walton-on-Thames. That same day, life changed forever for the Dowlers. Millie had attended school as usual at Heathside. After leaving just after 3pm, she walked to Weybridge train station. Wearing her school uniform and carrying a beige and black backpack, Millie boarded the train with three friends and got off at Walton. Normally she'd get off at the next stop, but Millie had made plans to go to a cafe with her friend Danielle and have some chips. Millie borrowed a phone from a classmate outside the cafe and called her father Bob to tell him she would be home in about half an hour. The call was made just after 3.45pm. Bob was usually in after Millie, but he'd had a meeting and was home earlier than usual. Once Millie and her friend Danielle had finished their chips, Danielle said she had to wait for her sister, so Millie decided to make the 15-minute walk home by herself. CCTV footage showed that Millie had not walked past the Birdseye building on Station Avenue. She only made it as far as Collingwood Place before she disappeared. Levi Belfield switched off his phone between 3.30 and 5.00pm that day, something he had also done during the times Amélie de la Grange and Marsha Macdonald were killed. Belfield was supposed to be with his family that day at a friend's in West Drayton, but he did not show up, instead appearing sometime around 10.30 to 11.00pm. His partner Emma noticed that he had changed his clothes. All of their belongings were in the flat in Collingwood, so she thought he must have been at the property at some point. She did not discuss his absence and went to sleep. Emma was awoken between the hours of three and four in the morning to find Belfield putting on his clothes and getting ready to leave. She asked him what he was doing, and he replied, "'I'm going to go back to the flat.' because I'm going to have a lay-in. There were only a few weeks left on their lease at Collingwood Place, but their property in Little Benty was not ready for them to move into just yet. However, the next day, Belfield decided that they were going to move anyway, and told Emma to pack. When Emma returned to the flat, she found the bed had been stripped bare. Confused, Emma rang Belfield and asked him where the sheets were. He told her that his dog had an accident on the bed and he had to throw the bed linen away. Their Staffordshire Bull Terrier shy did not have accidents in the house, especially not on the bed. The animal was so well trained that she would walk without a lead. Something else was missing too. Emma's red day wound next year. Belfield told her that he had parked the vehicle outside a relative's home in Hounslow as he was having a drink. He had decided against driving home, but when he returned the next morning, it was gone. Emma was told to report the car as being stolen. And the FBI were enlisted to refine the CCTV footage from the area where Millie Dowler was last seen. Once the sun glare was removed, they spotted a red day Woo driving out of the access road to the flat 22 minutes after Millie vanished. For six months, Millie's family had wandered and waited. Their ordeal made so much worse by their treatment from the police and the media, until finally, Millie's skeletal remains were found in Yately Heath Woods. Levi Belfield was familiar with this area. He had been there numerous times with his former partner, Joanna Collings. Joanna had been the one to bring Belfield to the attention of the police when Amélie de La Grange was murdered. When the authorities began to link Belfield to Millie's murder, it was also Joanna who told them that she had been to Yately Heathwoods many times throughout her four-year relationship with Belfield. Joanna was a show jumper, and the trials were held in Yately. In 2006, Joanna Collings went to the area with the police and pointed out the place where they parked the car and walked the dogs. It was the same location where Millie's body had been found. By 2009, the Surrey police had still been unable to locate the Daewoo Nexia. They believed it had been scrapped, just as Belfield had done to the other vehicles that linked him to the crimes he had been convicted of. Belfield was known to associate with Nirmal and Sunil Guru, the latter being the man he had blamed for the attack on Irma Dragoshi. Nirmal Guru was questioned about whether he had disposed of a car for Belfield in 2002, but was subsequently released without charge. A police spokesperson said at the time, Operation Ruby, the Surrey police investigation into Millie Dowler's murder, is a vigorous and live inquiry, and we remain determined to find Millie's killer. Speculation can be unhelpful and potentially hurtful to Millie's family, but we will thoroughly investigate any new lines of inquiry. In the 12 months following our renewed appeal in February 2008, Surrey Police received more than 300 calls from members of the public. We would still urge anyone with information about Millie's murder to make contact with us if they have not yet done so.
5: Detectives collected a mass of circumstantial evidence against Levi Belfield, but there is no direct physical evidence to link him to the murder. So, when they provided a file to the Crown Prosecution Service last September, they wanted more information. Surrey Police provided it in February, and that has led to the breakthrough that Millie Dowler's parents had long been waiting for.
4: I have now reached the decision that there is sufficient evidence, and that it is in the public interest, to charge Levi Belfield with three offences.
2: On March 30th, 2010, Levi Belfield was charged with the attempted kidnap of Rachel Cowes and the attempted kidnap and murder of Millie Dowler. Millie's family said in response, It's very hard to say how we feel after eight long and difficult years. We are extremely grateful to Detective Maria Woodall and her investigating team for their painstaking work and support to us over the years. We are pleased that Levi Belfield has been charged with abduction and murder and hope this will go some way towards providing justice for our darling Millie. Rachel Cowles had not been informed that Belfield was to be charged and learned of the development at the same time the rest of the country did, something the CPS called a serious oversight. The following month, Belfield appeared at Staines Magistrates Court via video link from Wakefield Prison. Brief court appearances followed, and Levi Belfield's trial was scheduled to begin in May 2011. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Scent Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Scent comes in. With over three decades of experience, Scent leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. What's more, all of ScentAir's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families, and EcoVadis-certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25 percent off your first order at Centair.com. For the second time, Levi Belfield stood trial for murder at the Old Bailey. He also faced a charge of attempted abduction for the failed kidnap of Rachel Cows. Brian Altman QC representing the Crown, again detailed the evidence and charges for the jury as he had done in Belfield's previous trial. The court heard about the man in a red car that approached Rachel Cowles on March 20, 2002, and the details of the last day of Millie Dowler's life. None of the clothing or belongings Millie had with her on March twenty-first were ever recovered. Her remains were too decomposed to determine the cause of her death. Still circumstantial evidence had linked Belfield to the abduction and the site where her body was found. CCTV footage had not captured Millie passing the Birdseye building as expected on a typical journey home. The Crown contended this meant that she had been snatched right outside Belfield's flat in Collingwood Place. The prosecutor told the jury about Belfield's phone being switched off during a 90-minute window following Millie's abduction and for over nine hours when he had gone back to the flat in the middle of the night, claiming it was so he could have a lie-in. Addressing the jury, Brian Altman QC said, "'The question for you is why on that night of all nights?' He should decide to get up in the early hours to go back to the flat in Collingwood Place in order to sleep in. We suggest that it was an excuse he made to Emma in order to legitimise a return to the flat. So why return to Collingwood Place in the dead of night? To walk the dog? To lie in? If the prosecution is right that he abducted and killed Millie Dowler, then he had to dispose of her body and clean up. His phone records show that his phone fell silent or was unreachable for almost nine and a half hours between 11.02pm that Thursday night and 8.26am the Friday morning. Ample time to make the journey from Walton to the deposition site in Yately Heathwood and to begin the clean-up. A friend of Levi Belfield's Malcolm Ward had been asked to come to the flat to help him remove a mattress the day after Millie vanished. Emma Mills also said that Belfield later burned the bed, all because the dog had supposedly had an accident on it. The prosecutor spoke about the Red Day Wunexia that was reportedly stolen days after Millie vanished and how disposing of a car was something that Belfield had done after committing the murders he had been convicted of. Altman said, The prosecution say there can be no doubt that Levi Belfield, and no one else, was responsible for both. He has proven to be a predatory and violent offender towards young women with convictions in 2008 at this very court for the murders and the attempted murder of three young women in West London. Marsha MacDonald in February 2003, Kate Sheedy in May 2004, then Amélie de Lagrange in August 2004. So all committed by him within a period of just over two years from the abduction of Rachel Cowes, and the abduction and murder of Millie Dowler in March 2002. The first witness to testify was Rachel Cowes. The now young woman recalled the events of that March afternoon nine years earlier when she had been approached by a strange man in a red car. Rachel had been unable to identify Belfield in a lineup by the time he was linked to the incident, but the description she had given at the time matched him perfectly. Millie Dowler's parents then took the stand over days of harrowing testimony and challenging cross-examination by Belfield's counsel, Geoffrey Samuels QC. It was revealed that Bob Dowler had been an initial suspect in his daughter's disappearance following the discovery of pornographic material and bondage equipment found in the family's loft. His sexual interests had nothing to do with his children, but they were dissected before the court. Bob had stopped on his way home from work on the day in question to look at pornographic magazines something he did not initially tell the police. He was questioned at length under suspicion. Bob was asked if Millie had found any of his magazines or equipment. He admitted that she had discovered a magazine in a bedroom drawer. And the police asked him if he was in any way responsible for his daughter's disappearance, Bob answered, The only way I can be responsible is if she had seen some of this material and decided to run away. Bob said that he cooperated with the investigation, but he was, quote, Very concerned, because if I knew they focused on me, they'd need to be focused on someone else. Throughout the rest of his testimony, Bob Dowler was made to recount what type of pornographic material he possessed, and whether his wife knew about it. Unable to speak at times due to the distress, Bob Dowler apologised, before answering the defence's questions. Letters were found in Millie's bedroom, indicating that the teenager was feeling low and having a difficult time. The defence implied that the writings indicated that Millie might have run away. The undated notes were read to the court by the defence counsel. One read, Dear Daddy and my beautiful mummy, By the time you find this letter I will be gone, up there or down below. I've always been that way, below other people. I am sorry, you deserve a better daughter. So I have left. It's nothing you have done. I just feel I had to go. Please don't let any harm get to any of you. Mum and Dad, please look after Gemma. I'm sorry, but goodbye. Lots of love, as always. Your little disappointment, Amanda. As more harrowing notes were read to the court... Bob Dowler broke down in tears, leading the defence barrister to make an apology. Sally Dowler then testified, describing her emotional state following her youngest daughter's disappearance. Under questioning, she was forced to deny that she favoured her older daughter, Gemma. Sally told the court that she had replayed every moment of the Dane question in her head. At one point she believed she recalled seeing Millie with a group of boys as she drove home from work. Sally told the court, I was going mad. I really felt on the brink of insanity at that stage. I was just going over and over and over it again, trying to remember the minutiae of it. I was driving myself mad trying to recall something. Sally Dowler spoke to Detective Constable Alice Barr about her recollections and the family liaison officer's notes from the interaction read in part. She has asked to be hypnotised. This is the third request for this to happen. She is desperate to know if she saw her daughter on her route home on that day. Sally was overcome with emotion when she was read the letters Millie had written and denied that her daughter had been depressed. Sally told the court, over the space of ten years I had a nervous breakdown and it is very difficult for me to recall it. If she had any problems she would have come and talked to me about them. I think we had a good relationship. I would not describe her as a dark and depressing person. There had been issues at school, and there had been some issues of bullying. She found that upsetting. Sally Dowler had to be assisted from the stand after she collapsed in grief. After watching her parents crumble in the witness box, it was decided that Gemma Dowler would not be asked to testify. A letter she had written was read to the court instead. Extracts from Gemma's statement read, I knew Millie wouldn't go out without telling mum or dad. I was worried because Millie would always ring to tell us she was going to be late. It was so unusual for her not to be home on time. I knew immediately something bad had happened to Millie and that she had been abducted. There is no way she would have run away from home or gone off with someone without telling us. Millie's school friends addressed the court and explained that she had been bullied at school. Millie confided that she had self-harmed at one point with a dinner knife. Still, she was generally happy, often speaking about how much she loved her family. Before she disappeared, Millie had met her uncle, Brian Gilbertson, for the first time. He had been adopted as an infant, but the family had since reconnected. Brian had been searching for Millie in the early hours after she had been reported missing. He had seen a large man with short hair walking with a dog. The man was believed to be Levi Belfield. It was the same night when Belfield had told his partner that he was going back to the flat. Emma Mills testified about what happened on that day. After Belfield had returned to their friend's home sometime between 10.30 and 11pm, Emma said that Belfield was wearing different clothes that could only have been from the flat in Walton. She also spoke about him leaving in the middle of the night and how their bed was bare when she returned to the flat. Emma said that after they moved to Little Benty, she had asked him where he had been on that Thursday because she was worried he was having an affair. In reference to the disappearance of a missing schoolgirl that had recently been in the news, he said, ''Oh, why do you keep going on?'' ''What? Do you think I've done, Millie?'' Emma Mills told the court that she was so used to Belfield making horrible remarks and jokes that she did not suspect he was being serious at the time. Emma's mother testified that her relationship with her daughter changed when Emma met Belfield, who she described as a, quote, "...big fat lump with a high-pitched voice." DCI Maria Woodall, who had taken over as the senior investigating officer on Operation Ruby, testified that officers had made inquiries at Belfield's flat on ten occasions, but he was never home, and they did not know who had lived there. By June 15th, 2011... The defence rested without presenting any evidence, and the closing arguments began. Crown Prosecutor Brian Altman QC referred to the gruelling cross-examination of Millie's mother and father, and reminded the jury, The grieving parents are not on trial here. That fact may have been forgotten when they came to give their evidence to you. Altman said that Belfield had not provided his side of the story by testifying because he did not have an innocent account to share. Quote, How, for instance, would he have explained when tested his behaviour on the day of and the night following Millie's disappearance? We don't know because he has declined to give us his account, tested and examined from the witness box. Brian Altman QC admitted that the case was formed by many strands of circumstantial evidence, but it only pointed toward one man, Levi Belfield. Anticipating the defence's strategy, Altman said, As I understand it, it is going to be suggested that Millie had run away. She did not want to be in her father's company that day, so she hung around Station Avenue only to slip away into the arms of someone else. What underpins this theory? The father's lifestyle as well as the aspects of Millie's character. The Defence counsel had accused Sally Dowler of shutting her eyes in response to Millie's mental state and the discovery of pornographic magazines Bob Dowler had hidden away. After reminding the jury that Millie was a typical teenager going through bouts of insecurity, the prosecutor explained that her family loved her, and they were loved in return. Altman said, No one, absolutely no one in this court other than Mr. and Mrs. Dowler and their daughter Gemma, can possibly know or understand what it is like to have lost a child or sister in dreadful circumstances not knowing month after month what had become of her, only years later to have their lives laid bare in this court. Altman lambasted the defence's arguments as ludicrous. Highlighting the lack of physical evidence tying his client to the crime, Belfield's barrister Geoffrey Samuels QC told the jury in his closing argument, No Millie on CCTV. No Belfield, no forensic evidence, and no eyewitnesses to an abduction or aftermath. That's what the prosecution say the focus should be on Belfield and his movements. It is because we suggest they are trying to get you to focus on what his ex-girlfriends Emma Mills and Joanna Collins now allege, coupled with his convictions to distract you from what we say is the complete lack of direct, real evidence to link him with these crimes. The defence implied that Millie Dowler might have run away, and that a witness who believed she had seen Millie walking along Station Avenue was mistaken. The Defence counsel argued that Belfield had only been charged with Millie's murder because he had already been convicted of murdering two women and trying to kill a third. Samuel said. But for his convictions, he would not be here. There has been an undue reliance on these convictions. There has been an artificial attempt to suggest similarities. The sad truth is that the police are no nearer solving her disappearance now than in 2002. The presiding judge, Mr. Justice Wilkie, summed up the case for the jury and urged them to be measured and dispassionate while they deliberated. The following day, June 23rd, 2011, jurors returned with a verdict for the charges relating to Millie Dowler. Upon hearing the outcome, Sally Dowler collapsed and had to be escorted from the courtroom. Gemma Dowler also broke down, and many onlookers in the gallery wept in relief. Levi Belfield was found guilty. Kate Sheedy had attended the trial, as had Amélie de Lagrange's parents to support the Dowlers when they finally got justice for Millie. Belfield did not react to the verdict, he just yawned audibly and then was led back to his cell. The jury were instructed to continue deliberating on the charge of the attempted kidnapping of Rachel Cowes. Frustratingly, after news of the verdict reached the media, numerous prejudicial articles were published about the case overnight, so the jury were dismissed, and the case against Belfield for Rachel Cowell's attempted abduction was abandoned. The judge labelled the coverage as deplorable and made a referral to the Attorney General to begin contempt of court proceedings against the offending publications. Judge Wilkie explained, The only person who is going to be affected by what has happened and most affected adversely has been Rachel Cowles and her family. She's had to live for nine years with what happened to her, and she has given evidence in court, which has no doubt been an ordeal for her. As a result of the trigger being pulled too soon on what would otherwise have been proper and appropriate material, I have been put in a position where I am obliged to discharge the jury from reaching a verdict in her case. Rachel Cowles was devastated by the decision and said that she had been robbed of justice by the actions of the press.
3: We are enormously disappointed that the jury were not given the opportunity to reach their verdict on Rachel due to the media coverage in some quarters since yesterday afternoon. I would like to pay tribute to Rachel, who showed enormous strength and courage in facing Belfield in court. I'm extremely hurt and angry that some of the media reporting has meant that this case has now robbed me of justice and the chance for justice for what happened in 2002.
2: Levi Belfield once again did not attend the sentencing hearing. Handing down a second whole life tariff to Belfield. Mr Justice Wilkie said, he does not have the courage to come into this court to face his victims and to receive his sentence. He subjected Millie Dowler, a 13-year-old schoolgirl, to what must have been a terrifying ordeal for no reason, other than she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and became a target of the unreasonable hatred that seems to have driven him. He robbed her of a promising life and he robbed her family and friends of the joy of seeing her grow up. Most cruel of all, in an attempt to divert responsibility from himself, he instructed his lawyers in this trial to expose to the world her most private adolescent thoughts, secrets and words, and sought to hint that she was a dark and unhappy troubled person, a proposition which this jury has rejected, and which flew in the face of the evidence from her family and many friends. For those of us in court who have been privileged to get to know about her, she clearly was a very funny, sparky and enthusiastic teenager, exploring her developing emotional life just as any intelligent person would do. But he has failed in what he intended. Millie's memory will survive and be cherished long after he is forgotten. Outside of the court, the Dowlers read statements to the media.
3: At last, the man responsible for the cruel murder of our darling daughter so many years ago has been found guilty. However, for us, the trial has been a truly awful experience. We have felt that our family, who have already suffered so much, has been on trial as much as Mr Belfield. I can honestly say that the day my mother and father were questioned by the defence QC, Mr Samuels, was the worst day of my life. It is hard to believe but it was worse than when I heard the news that the remains were that of my sister Millie.
5: The pain and agony that we've endured as a family since the 21st of March 2002 has been compounded by the devastating effects of this trial. Prior to this trial my family and I had only an ordinary person's understanding of the legal process However, during the past seven weeks, our eyes have been well and truly opened. The trial has been a truly mentally scarring experience on an unimaginable scale. you have had to have been there to truly understand.
2: The way the Dowler family were treated became a controversial topic, with many calling for protections to be put in place to prevent victims' families from being publicly humiliated at trial. While the Defence Council has a responsibility to provide their clients with the best possible defence, even the police were stunned by the way Sally and Bob Dowler were cross-examined. Chief Constable Mark Rowley from the Surrey Constabulary spoke with the media and said, There were some extraordinarily private details that came out, and I don't understand why they have to be public when celebrities can get injunctions to protect their privacy.
4: They've been um, cross-examined in the most personal and intimate detail in court. Massively upsetting for them. Um, horrendous in court for those who saw it there. I, I know even sort of, many of the crime reporters there were in tears. Extraordinary um, cross-examination. Now, if we're able to protect the privacy of premiership footballers for all sorts of odd reasons, then how on earth can't we protect the privacy and dignity of victims of crime and their families?
2: Following the conviction... More details about Levi Belfield's predatory behaviour came to light, including his attraction to girls. The Surrey Police apologised for their handling of the investigation into Millie's abduction and murder, with Assistant Chief Constable Jerry Kirkby saying, ''Mistakes were made. With the benefit of hindsight, there are aspects we would have handled differently. Could we have done anything to catch him earlier?'' We have agonised over that issue. The families of Belfield's victims called for a review of police procedures to see whether Marsha MacDonald and Amélie de la Grange's deaths could have been prevented. The authorities also acknowledged that they missed the opportunity to connect the attempted abduction of Rachel Cowes to Millie Dowler's abduction the following day. After the publication of several articles while the jury were still deliberating on the charge relating to Rachel Cowes, then Attorney General Dominic Grieve began to consider whether or not the newspaper editors would be charged with contempt of court. Earlier that year, The Sun and Daily Mirror newspapers had been charged with contempt for their coverage of the Joanna Yates murder investigation. Joanna's landlord had been arrested on suspicion of murder but was subsequently released without charge before Vincent Tarback admitted to the killing. The media had, however, publicly shamed and humiliated Christopher Jeffries. Contempt charges were filed against the Daily Mirror and Daily Mail within weeks of Levi Belfield's second trial. And in 2012, the papers were found guilty and ordered to pay fines. A month after the trial ended, it emerged that Millie Dowler's mobile phone had been hacked while she was still considered to be a missing person.
4: This was a heinous invasion into the Dowler family's privacy at a time of ultimate grief and fear for their daughter. It moves phone hacking into a new league
6: Uh, Obviously, we
3: have been absolutely clear in relation to all the allegations that have come about phone hacking. This is a matter for the police to investigate, and they should uh, take those investigations wherever the evidence leads them.
5: But I make this point the one person who seems to be staying in her job is the chief executive of News International, Rebecca Brooks, who was the editor at the time that Millie Dowler's phone was hacked. I don't think News International.
2: Scotland Yard detectives had executed a search warrant at the office of Glenn Mulcair a private investigator hired by the News of the World. Mulcair had been convicted in 2007 for hacking the voicemails of members of the royal family, but the evidence relating to others was not revealed until five years later. The authorities discovered that the News of the World had sanctioned a number of phone hacks, including Millie Dowlers, and several voicemails had been accessed and deleted from her phone. In the wake of the allegations, the Dowler family issued a statement that read in part, It is distress heaped upon tragedy to learn that the news of the world had no humanity at such a terrible time. The fact that they were prepared to act in such a heinous way that could have jeopardized the police investigation and give them false hope is despicable. An inquiry into the alleged phone hacking was held in November 2011 under Lord Leveson. Speaking at the High Court, Sally Dowler said that after she had called Millie's phone after countless attempts, it clicked through to her voicemail. Sally told the inquiry, I heard her voice and said she'd picked up her voicemail, Bob, she's alive. I told my friend she's picked up her voicemail. She's picked up her voicemail. The organisation behind the News of the World agreed to pay £2 million in damages to the Dowlers. The CEO, Rupert Murdoch, pledged to donate £1 million to a charity of their choice. Offering his thoughts about what had happened, Millie's father said, Given the gravity of what became public... One would sincerely hope that News International and other media organisations would look very carefully at how they procure information about stories, because obviously the ramifications are very much greater than just an obvious story in the press. Within months of being sentenced to a second life tariff, Levi Belfield was attacked in prison. Following the incident, he attempted to sue the prison service, seeking £30,000 in compensation. Belfield was awarded £4,500 in 2014. Two years prior, he had converted to Islam, something his former partner, Joanna Collings, believed was so he could get better food in prison. When she spoke to the Express newspaper in 2012, Joanna claimed that Belfield had been having sex with other inmates and his mother had brought him pork scratchings to eat, something his newfound religion would have forbidden. As a result of the stress of being connected to Belfield and the trials, Joanna Collins suffered a stroke before the age of 40. However, she had played an instrumental role in Belfield being identified as a suspect in both police investigations. The inquiry into Millie Dowler's murder was reopened, and authorities considered that Levi Belfield may not have acted alone. A Surrey police spokesperson said in 2016, During this investigation, police have spoken to Levi Belfield and he has admitted his responsibility for the abduction, rape and murder of Millie Dowler. Despite his conviction, this is the first time Belfield has made such admissions. Detectives have arrested and released a man in his 40s in relation to the allegations of rape and assisting an offender. The arrest was made following new information regarding an accomplice being involved with Levi Belfield in the abduction and rape, but not the murder of Millie Dowler. Belfield allegedly confessed to the murder in 2015, although the details were not made public until the Dowler family released the statement in February 2016. They said, We feel we need to say something in addition to the information that has already been made public, as we do not think what has been revealed reflects the true heinousness of this man. In May 2015, nearly nine months ago, we were informed that Belfield had requested to speak to Surrey police about Millie. Belfield made it clear to police that he would only speak to female police officers. Belfield provided the officers with a harrowing account of Millie's final 14 hours, giving details of her abduction, repeated rape, torture and then finally how he murdered her. The reason we were told this information last May was because previously Belfield had shared the information with other prison inmates and one of them was due to be released. This meant there was a risk that this information could be made public without us knowing about it. Belfield told the police that after abducting Millie and assaulting her at his flat a few yards from Walton Station, he then drove her to his mother's house. He reversed down a long driveway and then raped her in broad daylight over the boot of his car. Belfield then moved her to another location where the rape and torture continued for a number of hours, until the next day when he finally strangled her to death. A few days after hearing this harrowing information from Surrey Police, they revealed to us that they were also investigating an alleged accomplice involved in the abduction and rape of Millie. The statement explained the continuing pain that Dowless felt with Belfield, as more information was gradually released over the years. It continued. Hearing Belfield's account of how Millie spent her final hours before being murdered was shocking enough, but the news that there could have been another individual involved was devastating. There are no words to describe the additional torment and pain we have been going through since we were told this information. We had to remain silent for eight months whilst the police conducted their investigation. The arrest of the man Levi Belfield claimed to have committed the crime with caused more confusion. The statement went on to read, Finally, when they made the arrest of the suspected accomplice, The person was questioned and released without charge in less than ten hours as there was no evidence found. The pressure this has put us under as a family has been unimaginable and has taken its toll on all of us. We have had to fight every step of the way to get this far. In desperation last November, we wrote to the Home Secretary to tell her of our concerns, and she met with us immediately. After years of wondering, the Dowlers at least knew what happened to their daughter. The statement concluded, Now we know the final hours of Millie's life. Perhaps her soul at long last can finally rest in peace. The general public have always played a huge part in supporting us, for which we are eternally grateful and thankful. We believe that they should know what Bellfield did to our beautiful daughter, and Sister Millie. Within days of the Dowler statement revealing the horrors of Levi Belfield's actions, the convicted killer lodged a complaint with Surrey police and claimed that he had never made the confession. In a letter penned to a journalist, Belfield, who referred to himself under the Islamic name Yosef Rahim, wrote that he was disappointed to hear about the confession and was adamant that he had not spoken to the police in over a year. Belfield cited legislation from the Police and Criminal Evidence Act and said that according to the act, he had in fact made no admission. Part of the letter read, It is with deep regret that Surrey police can release such appalling information so publicly with no thought to the victim's families and my family who are innocent parties after Gemma Dowler wrote the book My Sister Millie in 2017 Belfield said from his cell in HMP Franklin I haven't read it I don't want to read it I'm sure it is heartbreaking but I'm not their closure that's the truth I'm not a nutter I didn't do it I am aware of the victim's family's grief and loss. I am fully aware they need closure. I am aware I may be their justice at present, and this may ease their pain with the knowledge that the perpetrator of these horrendous crimes is behind bars. However, I am innocent. So where are we now? The reinvestigation of Millie Dowler's murder was closed, and the police announced that they had finished investigating other unsolved crimes that may have been linked to Levi Belfield. Belfield had been suspected of a number of murders, though few theories were confirmed by investigators. In 1980, 14-year-old Patsy Morris went missing during her lunch break at Feltham Comprehensive School. Two days later, her body was found near her home in Hounslow Heath. A cause of death was listed as ligature strangulation. Patsy's killer was never found, but some suspected her alleged boyfriend Levi Belfield, who attended the same school. This was dismissed as rumour by the police, who confirmed that Bellfield had not attended Fulton Comprehensive until after Patsy had been killed. Furthermore, a report commissioned by Hillingdon Council from December 2018 linked Bellfield to a paedophile ring that had abused at least 17 young girls between the early 2000s and 2017. Also linked to the gang were convicted shoulder abusers Victor Kelly and Siraj Guru, the brother of Sunil Guru, the man Belfield blamed for attacking Irma Dragoshi. Former detective Nick Biddis from the Kent Police had told the Sunday Express in 2011 that he believed Belfield could be responsible for the 1987 murders of Wendy Nell and Caroline Pierce in Tunbridge Wells. Both women had died from blunt force trauma to the head. Biddis told the Express it would be sensible for Kent detectives to try and establish Bellfield's whereabouts at the time of the murders, and whether he was familiar with the area. My concern is he has two other murder convictions for hitting young women over the head with a blunt instrument, possibly a hammer and has also been convicted for murdering Millie Dowler and disposing of her body in a remote country area. Kent officers should try to discover everything about his time in the county. Belfield's involvement in the killings of Wendy Nell and Caroline Pierce could be discounted entirely, when in 2021 David Fuller pleaded guilty to the murders following a cold case investigation. Levi Belfield was also suspected of committing more killings in Kent, the murders of Lynn Russell and her six-year-old daughter Megan in 1996. Michael Stone had been convicted of the crimes along with the attempted murder of nine-year-old Josie, but Stone's solicitor Paul Bacon believed that the police should be looking at Belfield as a suspect. Michael Stone was convicted based on the testimony from Damien Daly and circumstantial evidence such as the fact he kept tools in his car and was seen with blood on his clothing sometime after the murders. There was no direct evidence linking him to the crime. Stone's solicitor said, This is the time for both police forces to take a proper look at all the information they have. Belfield's movements 15 years ago need to be ascertained to see where he was and what he was doing. In 2017, Michael Stone's legal team held a press conference announcing they had obtained a confession from Belfield.
6: We have now received evidence of a full confession by Levi Belfield. He is admitted... The Russell Murders. In the Confession, Belfield describes how he came across Lynn Russell and her two children, how he attacked them with a hammer, and he explains his motivation for the killing.
2: Upon hearing about the admission, Sean Russell, Lynn's widow widower, said at the time... If Levi Belfield has found God and is confessing to his crimes, then I would indeed be interested to know whether anyone has ever asked him or had a response concerning some of people's suspicions that he may have killed my wife and daughter. How much credence one could place on his response would be difficult to gauge, but if he denied it and those questioning him felt he was being truthful, and if I felt that I could rely on the testimony of those intermediaries, then it would help to allay my 5% doubts about the guilt of Michael Stone. I've always felt about 95% certain that Michael Stone is guilty. Not being 100% sure has always left my daughter Josie and I with a feeling of unfinished business and a lack of closure. The alleged confession to a fellow inmate at Franklin Prison came after a documentary was aired by BBC Two about the Chilindon murders. However, Bellfield denied ever admitting he was involved and pledged to take a lie detector test and submit his DNA for analysis. But he never did. He also claimed that Stone had offered him money to confess while they were both imprisoned at HMP Franklin. In comments widely reported in the press, Belfield solicitor Julie Cooper said, Mr. Belfield denies the murders of the Russell family and denies ever making such a confession. Mr. Stone has offered payment to our client, which he anticipates receiving as compensation for time served in custody. Our client has three notes from Mr. Stone in this regard, which have been given to the prison service together with a number of complaints regarding Mr Stone about his persistent attempts to get our client to accept responsibility for Mr Stone's crimes. Mr Belfield instructs that he has invited Mr Stone to undertake a polygraph test which has been declined. For the record, Mr Belfield is willing to undertake such a test in respect of the murders for which he is serving a life sentence and the murders of the Russell family. Barbara Stone, who had long proclaimed her brother's innocence, spoke about Belfield's prison confession with a reporter for the Daily Telegraph. Quote, I think this is the biggest hope my brother has had for a long time. Together we are both really hopeful now and will get a positive outcome. I would urge them to quite quickly refer this back to the Court of Appeal. Mick has been in prison for 20 years. That's 20 years too long. In response, asserting no evidence suggested someone else carried out the killings, Kent Police Assistant Chief Constable Nick Downing said, following two trials at which Stone was found guilty by a jury on both occasions and an appeal to the High Court, Michael Stone remains convicted of the murders of Lynn and Megan Russell and the attempted murder of Josie Russell in 1996. The Criminal Case Review Commission re-examined the murder investigation and had access to all forensic evidence, documentation and exhibits from the original investigation, the review by another force, details of the two Crown Court trials and appeals to the High Court. In addition, A comprehensive investigation carried out by the Metropolitan Police Service into allegations Levi Belfield was involved in crimes for which he is yet to be convicted concluded there is no evidence to support those claims. Levi Belfield protested he had an alibi for the time of the murders. He said he was out with his then-partner Joanna Collins celebrating her birthday and Joanna corroborated his alibi. The police believed it was credible because Joanna had been the one to tell the police about Belfield's violent behaviour after Amélie de La Grange was killed. Michael Stone's appeal was rejected in 2019 on that basis. At the time, Sean Russell, the father and husband of murder victims Megan and Lynn, said of Belfield's alleged confession... Police investigated his claims he was connected with the murders about a year ago and found them fatuous. Both he and Michael Stone said they wanted to be world-famous criminals. That said, in September 2021, Levi Belfield once again implicated himself in the murders of Lynn and Meghan Russell by dismantling his alibi. Admitting to knowing the area and stating that he had not been out with his girlfriend that day. Belfield admitted, Much speculation has been said about me and Michael Stone. I have never met or spoken to Stone. I have no loyalties to Stone. Then in February 2022, Belfield reportedly made a full confession to the attack in 1996. In the four-page document, he wrote, I was wearing bright yellow marigold washing-up gloves and holding a hammer in my right hand. In my car, I had a screwdriver, a lock knife, a hammer, yellow marigold gloves and a very long black bootlace. My first intention was to just attack Lynn but I quickly changed my mind due to the screams and was worried she would fight back, given the children were with her. I approached Lynn and held her right arm tight. She asked me not to harm her children. She was calm. Had she screamed, I would have attacked her and left not harming the children. The situation just got out of control, and the more she complied... It just gave me more confidence. Belfield detailed how he struck Lynn and her daughters, leaving Lynn, Megan and their dog Lucy dead, and nine-year-old Josie barely clinging to life. At the end of the confession, Belfield wrote, Something like this has never happened to me, in the sense I've committed a crime and another person has been arrested for it. I apologise to Stone and the Russell family for my heinous acts. Michael Stone's solicitor, Paul Bacon, said that he believed the confession was truthful and if the police spoke to Belfield, he would admit his guilt.
6: It's a remarkably detailed account of what's happened, what went on on the day and some of the tiny pieces of information are such that you couldn't have thought to make it up. I'm, I, I, I'm totally convinced it's, it's absolutely a genuine confession. Uh, I've always said that Michael is innocent and that I'm really hopeful this will lead to his freedom.
2: Belfield resembled a photo fit of the killer in the Chilindon case, and he had the opportunity to drive a beige vehicle like witnesses had described. Joanna Collins owned a beige car that Belfield later claimed had been stolen. Furthermore, in the confession, Belfield also asserted that he was responsible for the murder of Judith Gold in 1990. Since Michael Stone was convicted for a second time in 2001, based mainly on the testimony of fellow inmate Damien Daly, Daly's testimony has been questioned. Daly was imprisoned for murder in 2014 and supposedly admitted lying on the stand when speaking with an inmate. Michael Stone has been in prison for 24 years. As he nears his parole eligibility date, it's even more unlikely that he will be released without confessing, especially as Belfield has claimed responsibility the alleged confession has been sent to the Criminal Cases Review Commission for consideration. While some believe Levi Belfield may well have been responsible for killing Megan and Lynn Russell, he has confessed and retracted confessions before, compounding the heartache for victims' families over and over again.
1: He's still gaining some sort of sadistic pleasure from that, so his choice of, of insisting to speak to a female officer might be about um, his attempts to control women in this sadistic and sexualized way.
4: He wants to be in control, and this gives him an opportunity, um, talking about these horrible crimes and, and getting those details into the public and having people take notice of him. All of that are things that I'm sure he actually, in some ways, enjoys.
2: In May 2022, it was reported that a team within the Criminal Cases Review Commission questioned Belfield about the 1996 murders when he was imprisoned at Franklin Prison in County Durham. Belfield was forthcoming in the surprise visit. He admitted he had committed the murders after he was on a job nearby. He also said he used rubber marigold gloves. Belfield reportedly claimed Lynn Russell was originally the focus of the attack, with the children and the family dog only being struck as the scene became too chaotic. As at the time of this recording, rumours in the press have suggested that the Criminal Cases Review Commission intends to clear Levi Belfield of any involvement in the murders of Lynn and Megan Russell. And the attempted murder of Josie. This has displeased both Bellfield's and Michael Stone's representatives, who are eager for a conclusive answer from the commission. Following two whole life sentences, Levi Bellfield will never see the outside world again. Michael Stone is eligible to apply for parole later this year. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website. They walk among